Hey there, everybody. You are watching School Psych Podcast. Very excited tonight. Really great topic. As always, I'm always super stoked for uh, what we have to talk about. So um, I wanted to point out that Rebecca is not here tonight. She's over for her daughter's college graduation. So we're all very excited for her. And we're lucky enough to have Sue from the Sincerely a School Psychologist page built in for us because we love Sue. And she's been on her past episodes with the social media episode. We uh, met up with her at NASP. So um, she's always been a big supporter. And we're super lucky to have her here tonight. Um, another thing I wanted to touch on before we get started, and also we know the Game of Thrones series finale, we're good, we're, we're, we're mindful, <laughs> we're good. Um, we, last time we talked a little bit about some of the concerns that people had shared for the audio uh, quality of the podcast. And so we had a poll and so we're kind of weighing options there, but we were lucky enough, we had um, a viewer who seems to know a lot about this. So Andrew has contacted us and is, has offering to do some tweaks with the sound and to actually get the videos or the audio posted on iTunes in a timely manner. Because if you guys watch or listen through iTunes, you're aware that I sometimes don't get that up <laughs> in a uh, in a quick fashion, just because it's a little bit cumbersome to do that. So I tend to like dump like five episodes at once whenever I get a free moment. So hopefully, um, with Andrew's help, we he's I'm kind of thinking of him of him as a producer. So we have a producer. It's very exciting, <laughs> and with his help, hopefully that will get up on iTunes uh, in a lot quicker than I've been able to do it. So very exciting stuff going on. This is our last episode, I believe, of the season. So hoping that everybody's going to be enjoying your summer break very soon and is getting through the madness that is the end of the school year. But I don't think I have said my name. I am Rachel. I'm a school psychologist in Maryland. I'm going to toss it over to Eric, who's going to tell us a little bit about participation tonight. Eric? Hi. Hi, everyone. I'm Eric. I'm a school psychologist in Connecticut. And as Rachel mentioned, uh, Rebecca's not here. So I will be uh, looking for conversations, questions, um, chats, ideas, uh, please. Uh, feel free to message on YouTube or Facebook, and I'll keep an eye out for any questions or things you'd like to share with our guests this evening. And as uh, Rachel also mentioned, we have a guest host this evening, Sue from Sincerely. So I will turn it over to Sue to introduce herself and our guest this evening. Fantastic. Hi, everybody. I am Sue Arnpriester. I am also known as Sincerely School Psychologist, and I am a practicing school psychologist down in the desert southwest in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. And I am so excited to introduce um, our guest tonight. Um, Jackie Jackson-Dean earned both her bachelor's in special education and master's degrees in school psychology from The Ohio State University. She also holds master's degrees in mental health counseling. In addition to being a certified school psychologist in the state of Florida, Jackie is also a licensed school psychologist, a nationally certified school psychologist, and a registered mental health counselor intern. She has been a school psychologist for 16 years with the last 13 years in Pasco County Schools, just north of Tampa, Florida. Jackie was one of the founding members of her district's LGBTQ plus community committee and had the opportunity to begin as the district's LGBTQ plus liaison in 2016, in which she is allocated a half a day each week to carry out the responsibilities of this position. That is amazing and awesome. Jackie's professional interests includes, include poverty, trauma, issues impacting adolescents, crisis intervention, and marginalized populations with an emphasis, of course, on LGBTQ plus youth. I'm so happy to um, be here tonight. Welcome, Jackie. Hi, thank you. 
Hi, everybody. Um, so what I'm going to do just to kind of help out with um, just some knowledge behind what my role in feels, how I came into the role, that kind of thing, is I'm going to share a few PowerPoint slides, just about eight slides or so that um, talk about who I am, what I've been doing the last couple years, and then when the PowerPoint is completed, then we can just have some discussions and questions and answers. I can talk a little bit more about um, some of the positive things that have happened the last three years, some of the challenges that have happened, um, especially this school year. And so what I'll do is I am going to um, attempt so eloquently to share my screen and get started with the PowerPoint slides. And um, so if while I am talking uh, through my PowerPoint slides, if people have questions, then um, one of my friendly people, Rachel, Sue, or Eric's going to jump in with that question because I'm not going to be able to see it. So I'm going to try to take a little bit of a breath in case there's questions. So let me share and bring up my PowerPoint for you all. All goes well. Okay. Does it look great? Hopefully. Yes. Yep. <laughs> There's some silence. <laughs> I forgot I was muted. Sorry. Me too. <laughs> I figured that. I figured I'll just wait a second in case people are muted. So, um, all right. So, what I thought I would do is just kind of um, expand a tiny bit on what Sue had mentioned um, in terms of just my bio. Uh, I was a school psychologist in Ohio for three years before I moved here to Florida, and um, I am just barely north of Tampa. So people are wondering where in Tampa or where in Florida I am. I am just a little bit north of Tampa, Florida, Clearwater, Florida. Um, best beaches in the United States. In case anybody wants to come visit, we have the best ones. So um, it's beautiful and sunny uh, pretty much all the time here. So it's. Uh, not as dreary as Ohio was. So it, that's really great. Um, so the so three years ago, I had the opportunity to move into a half day each week. So some people are like, oh, you do this part time or you get to do this full time. No, I, I still work as a traditional school psychologist um, when I'm not doing this LGBTQ liaison role. So half day each week, which is basically 3.75 hours a week, is allocated in, to this particular role. And so I'll tell you in a minute what that entails. But just to kind of add some clarification, it's amazing that I have a half day because that allows me to put everything else that I'm doing aside and really focus on this work because it is part of my allocation in my district. Um, as Sue said, I am one of the founding members of our LGBTQ committee that uh, I looked back in my notes and we started that committee back in 2013. So about six years ago is when we got that started. And then um, a couple of years ago, I finished another master's degree in mental health counseling. And I'm currently a registered mental health counselor intern, which means that after I get my hours, I will be a licensed mental health counselor um, here in the state of Florida. And so while I'm an intern, uh, which is going to take a very long time because I can only get hours part time uh, because of my job as a school psychologist, but I do provide trauma focused counseling to teens and adults. And I do have the opportunity to actually um, 
do counseling and therapy with some LGBT youth in at my internship site. So uh, the two worlds have collided in a beautiful way recently. So, uh, one of the things that was interesting is uh, my boss, when she said, I have a half day each week that I'm going to be able to allocate for you to be an LGBTQ liaison. I was like, yes, this is going to be amazing. And then I went, okay, what the heck is an LGBTQ liaison? And so I went to Google and I looked around and tried to figure things out. So like I found things, um, so the city of Tampa has an LGBT liaison for the community. And then I found um, in DC public schools, they have people called LGBTQ school liaisons and San Francisco, they have LGBTQ support liaisons. And um, down here in Florida, there are uh, safe school liaisons. I believe that might be Miami-Dade or Broward that have the safe school liaisons. And so I really didn't find a whole lot more about what that would look like for me as a school psychologist functioning as an LGBTQ liaison. So what ended up happening is I got to kind of create what I wanted out of the role and the job responsibilities uh, based on a lot of different factors. And so one of those factors was that in 2016 when I started as the LGBTQ liaison, everybody was talking about this. And so the NEA was talking about it. The National PTA was talking about it. The National School Boards Association, the National Association of Secondary School Principals. I mean, so many people were talking about it. They had policies, they had resolutions, they had position statements, they had guidance, they had um, all kinds of opportunities for me to draw upon so that I could create that compelling why in anticipation that people be like, okay, so how is it that your district is allocating a school psychologist to do this work for a half day each week? There's so many other things that you could be doing. And so it was great timing that a lot of this was coming out in 2016 because it really helped me with that compelling why I was doing that work. But what probably was um, more compelling at the time is I used data, which us uh, school psychs, you know how we love our data. So I dug into the data based on some estimations of what percentage of youth or people identified as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. And um, it's evolved even just since 2016, the numbers have changed. And it's really just an estimate. As we know, it's really hard to find those exact numbers for our LGBT youth. So I did use data from the Williams Institute, which is out of the UCA, UCLA School of Law. And then um, luckily through the CDC DASH grants, we're starting to get better data about who our trans youth are and how many of them there are in um, counties across the country. So using that data, I was able to start estimating about how many of these kids were here in my district. Um, the way Florida does their school districts is the entire county is a school district. And so um, in Hillsborough County, which is where the city of Tampa is, they have an extremely large school district. And um, where I was in Ohio, 
we had, I, I believe, over 600 school districts in the state of Florida. We have 67 counties, so we have 67 school districts. And so in my district, we're considered large. We have about 80,000 students in our school district. So I used that to estimate how many kids we could potentially be looking at in the schools. So in, um, in my county, about 500 kids would be probably the average for an elementary. We have some that are smaller, we have some that are significantly bigger, but I just kind of went with 500. In a middle school of about 1,000 students, and I used about 1,500 for a high school. Again, these are just estimates because you know sometimes we just have to do that. So I was able to say that in a high school of about 1,500 kids, we could be looking at um, at least 90 kids who needed some sort of support probably at some point. I haven't met an LGBTQ youth yet who is just perfectly great, all's well with the world. They have no issues whatsoever, even with supportive parents. There's always something that comes up with them. And so we were uh, fortunate to be able to use this data to say, okay, yep, in our district of about 80,000 kids, we were potentially looking at about 5,000 kids who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. And when you have 5,000 kids with um, high anxiety, high depression, high suicide rates, et cetera, we know that data behind our LGBT youth, it was very easy to make that compelling why that half day each week was so important um, for the work. So, what I wanna do is just kind of share some of the things that I have done with support from our LGBTQ committee in the district. Our LGBTQ committee is comprised of at least one member of each of our student services departments. In my county, student services is considered the school psychologist, the school social worker, the school counselor, and the school nurse. And so we have a representative from all four of our student services departments. We have a representative from our superintendent staff. We have a representative from employee relations. We have a representative from our um, office for leading and learning, which is kind of like curriculum and instruction in some districts. Um, we even have somebody from our technology department who's on the committee. Um, in, a, in a few others. So we have a very well-rounded LGBTQ committee that meets four times a year. We meet once per quarter, and we are really looking at the things going on in the district and um, trying to plan forward for how we're going to best support not only the youth, but we have plenty of LGBT staff members and families in our district. And so we're really working together to try to make it a seamless experience for anybody who um, is LGBTQ and most of what we do, it has a positive impact on anybody. You don't have to be LGBTQ to walk into a school and see these safe affirming, um, really, you know, cool cultural signs up to know, oh, well, this is, this is the kind of place where I want my kid to be. So, um, I used some research about what was best when it comes to LGBTQ youth in the schools in terms of what is going to help them the most. I also had the opportunity um, in 2016, Equality Florida was beginning a safe schools initiative. And I worked very closely with Dee Palazzo who was 
is um, now and was at that time sort of the head of the Safe Schools uh, Initiative. And so we worked together um, to kind of pour through the research and say, okay, what is really going to be the most effective? And one of the things that we found that would probably get a really big bang for our buck was the creation of a best practices guide. In other parts of Florida, they call it a critical support or a support guide. Um, in, in my county, best practices guide is the name that we kind of ended up with because it really is a collection of all those best practices that we have seen in the literature that work um, best with our LGBT youth. So that was a year-long um, part of year-long, I guess, editing, revisions, approval process. And um, the final product is, I believe, 68 pages. So this is not just a short little memo. This is truly a best practices guide with handouts, um, with links to organization policy statements, with resources, just pretty much anything you could think of all in this one guide. The other thing that I wanted to do was to be able to send out information to those people that work with youth. So Gay Straight Alliance or Gender and Sexuality Alliance advisors who work with youth, um, student services people, so the school counselors, the school psychologists, the social workers, the nurses, about those things like Ally Week, Transgender Day of Remembrance, No Name Calling Week. So giving them the tools and the resources that they could use at the school level to um, maybe pull off Ally Week for the first time and, um, and so that they felt empowered to be able to do that if they wanted to. Another big thing was establishing connections with community partners. I counted um, over the weekend and I'm up to about 10. Sometimes that's just simply knowing that I exist and my community partner exists. Sometimes it's regular communication, like once a week. So I work very closely with our local PFLAG president, and um, we probably talk about once a week, and she keeps me up to date on issues that she's hearing at PFLAG meetings. I keep her up to date with things going on in the district. And so those community partners and the connections that I've been able to establish over the last three years have been really critical for supporting our youth. Um, on a regular basis, I would say a big thing that I do is consult with the schools on best practices. And so we have this best practices guide, it ties everything together. So it doesn't matter if you are in a 500 student elementary or you're in a 2000 student high school, if you have a question, hopefully you can open up that best practices guide, get to um, the answer. And if not, then people call me, they email me, and um, we work through things together, um, whatever that might be. Like I mentioned, we have the quarterly meetings with the LGBT committee. Um, the other big thing that I wanted to do was develop an LGBTQ lending library. My yeah. district is very, um, although it's very large, it is a little bit more um, traditional, conservative, um, I'm not really sure how you would uh, call it necessarily, but um, 
I knew that I couldn't just go to the district and say, hey, can I have money to develop an LGBTQ lending library? So what I did is I reached out to friends and family and I said, hey, I really would like to be able to have some resources available in case a parent gives me a call, in case a teacher says, okay, I really would like to know more about this. And so uh, my friends and family members were generous enough to donate money and donate books towards an LGBTQ lending library. So now I'm up to about 80 books that I keep at my, um, I do keep it at my home because there have been some concerns and I knew that there would be concerns from community members about that lending library. All of the books are extremely appropriate for all ages. Um, but I, that is something that I keep at my home. And if somebody calls me up and says, Hey, you know, can I borrow this? Then I make sure that that is accessible to them. And so, um, it's, it's not something that is at every school in the media center, but it is something that I've been able to, um, develop with the beautiful support of friends and family who believed in the the mission also. Um, That's great. Jackie, I have uh, two quick questions. Yes. Um, first of all, do you keep like a bibliography so that people could, uh, you know, look up topics or anything, or is that all sort of through you? So um, there are, so I have a list of all of the books that are in the lending library that mm. people can just request that list from me. And then I will send it out to them. Um, and then in terms of general resources, most of the general resources are sort of housed in that best practices guide. And, okay. um, and then through like an internal server, there is um, there are some links and things for people. Awesome. And is that best practices guide available? Or can maybe when you finish, could you share a link with us? I can do that. And you know, what's interesting is um, the best practices guide was something that we just kind of housed internally. And um, we started, we weren't really sure how we were going to be rolling it out in my district. And so it was something that the superintendent approved of. Uh, it went through our school attorney, our district's attorney, and ensured, you know, I wasn't uh, our, our committee wasn't signing the district up for anything that they couldn't mm -hmm. be liable for. And so the, the superintendent, the school board attorney, they were aware of it. And then we just sort of housed it internally. And um, one of the things I'll talk about when we get to the challenges part is um, it wasn't something that we necessarily wanted to publish uh initially on like our district website because we knew that there could be some community pushback and we hadn't really built up the knowledge base among people within the district first to be able to answer those questions that the community members would potentially have about it. And so while we had it, we um, were trying to build up knowledge through professional development so that people would be better equipped to answer questions from community members. But one of the challenges that we ran into is that um, 
the community learned of the best practices guide. And then of course, you know, as is anything with, within the school district, it was their right to request a copy of it through a public records request. And so um, the community did gain access to the guide and then started publishing it online mm -hmm. and getting the word out a little faster than we wanted, just because, like I said, we really wanted to build up knowledge before it just got out there and got out of hand without people having that understanding of the compelling why behind it. But yeah, it's out there actually, if you Google it, <laughs> because of um, the public records requests, it is floating out on the internet now, but I can certainly um, provide a link to it so that people can see what our guide looks like right now. Awesome, thank you. And another viewer, just commented that she loves the lending library idea also. Yes, I, you know, one day, I, I feel like everything I talk about starts with one day, <laughs> um, dot, dot, dot. And one day, I do hope that our school media centers across my district will be able to have more inclusive, LGBTQ inclusive materials. Um, it's my county's not really ready for that yet. Um, and so we just try to handle things on a case by case basis when it comes to that. But to be honest, um, the majority of people that want act, want materials in my lending library are parents and teachers. Mm. It's very rare because the kids, they don't want to read a book. The kids want to go on YouTube and watch a video. <laughs> so that makes sense. I, I stacked the library full of all these cool youth resources and it's very rare that a youth actually reaches out and asks um, for a book. They're like, uh, yeah, no thanks. I, I'll, I'll go to Insta for my information. So <laughs> that's too funny. So, um, so we created a DSA network, I call it. I don't know, you know, it's nothing um, super fancy, but really what it is is just the Gender and Sexuality Alliance advisors across the county, you know, because we have 80,000 students, we have a very large county. It takes about an hour and a half to get from one side of the county to the other. So these GSA advisors often feel isolated and um, kind of on their own when it comes to running the GSA or um, supporting the GSAs at their schools. So um, I started a monthly newsletter that provides resources for them. It high, Some of the time I will highlight a GSA advisor in there, um, just answer questions for them. I'll send them regular emails and we've created a little area on, an in, on the internal server where if they wanted to ask questions of one another, they could do that. So really my goal as a former GSA advisor myself was to not make them feel so isolated and out there on their own um, as a GSA advisor, because it is, it can feel very isolating to be the lone GSA advisor at your school, especially when you have people that are not real happy that you, they have a GSA on campus. And that, um, sadly is, you know, can be common in, in some parts of our county where people aren't real happy that there's a GSA on campus, but it's really based on lack of information about what the GSA does. Um, and then more recently, 
I had the opportunity, we are moving towards um, being a trauma-sensitive, trauma-informed district. And so we have a trauma-informed care initiative that um, has begun in recent years. And so I began collaborating with someone within the trauma-informed care initiative to figure out how can we collapse these two worlds because they just very naturally, LGBTQ youth and trauma, they um, sadly collide very well. And so um, we've been working on a few things related to that, including a couple of presentations that we've done at um, a statewide and a national level around that. And so that's something we're looking forward to doing. I'm, I might actually even submit it for um, a NASP presentation because I think that the information is so great. So um, hopefully stay tuned about that. <laughs> um, the other thing that we have is through the CDC DASH grants, there's the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, the YRBS. And so I had dreams. That was one of my one day dot, dot, dot. We would have YRBS data and lo and behold, someone in my curriculum department got the CDC DASH grant, which allocates money, resources, people, to um, creating safer schools, getting um, accurate information out to students about sexual health, about drug and alcohol usage, um, all different kinds of things around mental and physical uh, well-being. And so we will um, soon have YRBS data from my district. And so that's really awesome because it will start to help us narrow in on the needs of our LGBT youth in, in my county. If um, I hadn't gotten that, I was hoping to use GLSEN, um, Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network has a fully adaptable local school climate survey that you can utilize for free through um, their website. So that was going to be my big ask, but I didn't have to ask to use that um, because we're going to start with the YRBS and see where that takes us. Um, the other cool thing is we just uh, we're in the, um, I guess you could call it graphic designing stage of creating a Pasco County Schools safe logo or ally logo that will be able to go on people's badges because many of us have that really cool safe zone sticker or safe space sticker in our office window. But I don't know about you, my office is tucked away and kids don't necessarily see it. So when I am out and about on campus, they may not know who I am. I'm not there every day, like most of us. And so I had this dream one day, dot, 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 that people would know who the safe people were on school campuses. And so I approached um, our department that has the CDC grant to say, is this something we might be able to do? And um, the LGBT committee was, um, integral in getting that going and so hopefully at the beginning of next school year we will be able to pass out little um, stickers that will go on people's name badges so as they're navigating throughout the school campus kids will actually be able to see teachers will be able to see families will be able to see oh that's a safe person so that's probably one of the things i'm most excited about um, in in this role pd the professional development that has been um, ongoing since I started and it's little by little, but with the challenges that I have faced this year, that was something that kind of got pushed up to the top. So I finally got in front of school principals, student services people, we got to um, 
um, I think it's been over a year ago that we were able to get to them. And then, like I mentioned, um, presentations at professional conferences. In the future, I'd love to have an LGBTQ champion or safe liaison or LGBTQ liaison, whatever we decide to call it at every one of our school buildings. I would like to build capacity. I'm one person. I have a half day, 3.75 hours a week devoted to this work. I have, I believe, 80 buildings in my district, and it would be awesome to have a point person at every single dis or every single building. And then within the district office, um, which is multiple buildings because we are a large district, I would love to have a point person in every department so that you have somebody you can turn to that is more of that um, you know, campus champion or um, department champion for answering questions. I want to use um, some readiness assessments and some safe school assessments at the secondary schools to figure out, you know, where are we with all of this at um, each of our schools in terms of them being safe campuses for LGBT youth. Surprisingly, my school board we do not have sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression included in our school board policy related to um, bullying and harassment and discrimination. So my dream is to be able to have a fully enumerated policy that does include that SOGI, that sexual orientation, gender identity, and expression. Um, I don't know that I need to necessarily do a school board workshop for our five member um, board related to LGBTQ 101 anymore because um, with the challenges that we face this year, they know who I am. Uh, they know very well the work that I've been doing and they have received a lot of information about it. So that's, I'll have to figure out if that's still gonna happen or not. Increasing family involvement and support is a big thing for me. And then um, providing professional development at the teacher level. We have, um, I believe someone told me 8,000 teachers in my school district. So um, it sounds great to be able to provide diversity trainings, but rolling that out to 8,000 people is, um, I don't know how my district does it, to be honest, because we have state mandated trainings that they have to do. And just those state mandated trainings are hard enough to roll out, much less optional types of things like diversity. So um, I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna show you uh, this slide real quick and then move into more of the discussion because this slide lends more to the discussion about the challenges. So I'm just gonna kind of show you this real quick and then I'm gonna stop sharing my screen so that we can talk a little bit about um, the challenges and I can answer questions about earlier slides, but then um, talk about this. And so I'm gonna talk about a few of the other things and then um, leave the top bullet point is, it can be up for discussion. So I'm gonna kind of go um, bottom up with this. So my county is, um, we don't have a huge amount of resources for our youth and our families. We're lucky enough to have a PFLAG chapter, but that's newer. In terms of mental health counseling supports, it, they're still very limited. Uh, groups, still very limited. You have to drive to Tampa, you have to drive to Clearwater. And um, I believe my district's about 50% of kids are on free and reduced lunch. So we have a lot of families that don't have transportation. We also have a lot of kids who don't have supportive families that will take them to see a counselor or to go to a group. 
I'm just quote unquote, a school psychologist. So the fact that I'm more of a boots on the ground versus like a big time district office employee, um, sometimes that was a challenge for me because um, I didn't, I couldn't pull rank. I couldn't pull weight with things that I wanted to get done. It also worked to my advantage because I was still working in the schools and I was still seeing what was going on in the schools. So it's kind of a catch 22. One of, some of my schools, I never would have a concern about anything that went on in their schools. Other schools, when they called, they I knew they needed a lot of support. So there was a huge range there. 3.75 hours a week is glorious, but it's also not that much time. And so I find myself working much more than 3.75 hours a week on the work. And there is an LGBTQ committee but every one of those people on the LGBTQ committee has a full-time job as something else. And so to ask them to do more, I know just adds to their workload too. So, um, so that it is difficult with the limited time. Um, and the other things are kind of related to me being sort of that boots on the ground. So political climate. So I'm going to, um, this would be a great time to Stop screen sharing if I can figure this out. And cancel. Okay. Did that work? Yes. You're back. Okay. So, um, political climate. <laughs> so, as some people might know, um, last year, meaning this school year, but October 2018, the community learned that my position existed. And um, when they learned that my position existed and that there was a best practices guide, it did not make them very happy. And so we had a group of people who um, caught wind. One of those groups of people was a, the Southern Poverty Law Center has a hate group nationally. Um, and they put out a couple of press releases specifically about me. They went through my Twitter page, my Facebook page, my personal website, all not affiliated with the school district. They took screenshots of me. They took screenshots of tweets. Um, and they had um, put out these press releases nationally. So before we knew it, um, our county and the work that I was doing in our LGBTQ committee was doing uh, actually made national news. And... Um, so it catapulted me into this place that I thought, you know, this is challenging territory, but I wasn't really prepared for the fact mm -hmm. that it was going to be national and even international. Somebody um, was on vacation in Germany and mm -hmm. said where they were from, and someone in Germany had actually heard about it. So, wow. um, so it, it actually resulted in me receiving death threats. I was, um, through my Twitter page, through my personal website, through my Facebook page, I was um, messaged directly from people. I was emailed through those um, before I had a chance to shut things down because I wasn't prepared for that. And so I had people that said, you know, I hope you die. And um, LGBT kids and all kids would be better off if you were dead. I hope you get cancer. Um, all kinds of really interesting things. Um, it was somebody wrote in and said that I'm a waste of taxpayer dollars. And um, those are just the ones that I saw. People told me that they saw other things. There was apparently um, 
a really horrible thing on YouTube. And it was pretty much all about like me and the work that I've been doing. And um, as if like, I created all the statistics, I created all of this stuff from scratch, and just kind of, right. hey, I'll just throw this together and, you know, see what happens type of thing. So, um, so that by far has been the biggest challenge. And um, mm. most of the groups have come from a religious standpoint. So we have to be very careful in what we've been um, doing because, um, you know, no, no laws are being broke on any side. People are, um, they have the right to have a different opinion and, um, but it has been very hurtful for the LGBT youth. I have talked to LGBT youth who have been personally impacted and it has, um, you know, I, if I had the data, I, I um, highly suspect that the kids that were very involved and very knowledgeable about what was going on, that their um, symptoms of depression and anxiety and self-harm probably increased during the time that this was all going on because they saw these people saying these horrible things about me. And um, I, and I actually out myself and I say, guess what? I'm cisgender and I'm straight. I am not a member of the LGBTQ committee and Eric committee. I am a member of the committee, not of the community. And so I will out myself and say, I'm actually not um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. And so if they are willing to say and do these things to me, mm -hmm. it was very, very hurtful for the kids and the families. The families were um, very upset because they feared for their children when they heard that I was getting death threats, they thought, oh my gosh, what if these people see my kid on the street? Or what if these people find out about my kid, you know, what could happen? And so they had some very real concerns. And um, I have to say my superintendent, the school board, they were extremely supportive and um, they had the opportunity to change our board policy a couple of months ago and they chose not to, which was actually a good thing because they could have said trans kids must not, may not be able to use the restroom of their affirmed gender. Trans kids need to use the restroom of their birth certificate, sex and things like that. But our district um, is uh, moving along with the way that case law has been shown in the last couple of years regarding this issue and has been extremely supportive and has said, you know, no, you're, the work that you're doing and the committee is doing is very important for these kids. And with a 40% suicide attempt rate, they mm -hmm. need to keep doing the work. And so, um, so yeah, so that's been the biggest excitement this year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it really, yeah. I know, I mean, it's just unfathomable, unfathomable sometimes to hear some of that and yet of course we see it in the news and we see that kids face this stuff on a on a regular basis when they're going through these things so um a couple of commenters just noted uh you know our listeners our viewers that you're very brave you know that you you've jumped into this fray and um and your leadership is is so powerful and so important so well, thank uh, you. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. I, I didn't go into it thinking that I was um, brave, but, you know, in the face of death threats, you figure it out pretty quickly. And so I, I honestly say that, thank goodness that I am cisgender and straight because I can't imagine the impact that this would have had on me personally or on mm -hmm. my family if I was um, 
say a lesbian who's transgender or any combination mm -hmm. of that because I was worried about my family as a cisgender straight person. And, you know, like we, um, I, you know, I have, I have young children. And so mm -hmm. I would walk out of my front door and, and look around. And I had people that were walking me to my car, uh, at work. And so I, 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 it was a opportunity for me to really be able to say, okay, you guys, this is happening to me as a cisgender straight person. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine on a daily basis, the things that are happening, happening to LGBT people and the things that are being said to them. And so it was a good reality check for a lot of people that were like me, cisgender and straight. Mm -hmm. So they, um, so I, I think that it helps in my traditional slash conservative or whatever you want to call it district that someone like me is the forefront at it because I don't have a dog in the fight. Like I'm, this is, I'm doing this work because it's the right thing to do because I want kids safe. I want kids alive mm -hmm. so that uh, they can participate in athletics and school and do whatever they want to do. And so it's the right work because um, I just, I know that. And we as school psychologists, we're social justice advocates. And so mm -hmm. also I'm compelled to do it because of my ethics and because um, of who we are as school psychologists at, at our heart too, at our core. Mm -hmm. you, you, I mean, when I first uh, heard of your story, it was somebody posted it in, on one of the Facebook groups, one of the closed mm -hmm. groups, and was just kind of like, hey, everybody check out this news story and what she's going through. And immediately there was just this outpouring from all the other psychs of, oh my gosh, she's amazing. And it was, it made me so proud to be a school psychologist, just to, to see that you're, I mean, it just must have been ridiculously difficult to just get through that and to still be so strong and all the you know times that I read kind of interview snippets and whatnot and just mm -hmm. how how well you represented our field and how well spoken you were um it was it just made me I was like yeah school's like <laughs> yeah I know I know it was it was a um I was getting letters and I had a secretary that was checking my mail for me because she was afraid wow. you know that like people would send hate mail. And so I had a secretary that was, and I'm like, who are you? You're a secretary. You don't have to be checking my mail. Like if, if somebody's putting bad things in mail, like I don't want you to get hurt. And she's like, no, 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 I want to do it. Please let me check your mail. <laughs> and so she, uh, she was checking my mail and actually I got all these beautiful letters from school psychologists across the entire country. And so they would send the letters to our main district office and then the district office would filter them to me um, at my school. And I got letters from Oregon and Washington and Boston and all over the country from school psychologists, some of them practicing, some of them retired, some of them brand new to the field. And they were just like, yay, go. So I, I have to say that like in NASP, um, President NASP, the um, executive director of NASP, um, Amy, like all different kinds of people reached out. Um, and that was super, super mm. awesome. dude. And they were just like, hey, we got your back. And I was like, oh, I know you do because I'm citing our position statements and our um, our resolutions, mm -hmm. people to the LGBTQ section of the NASP website. And so it, um, I couldn't think of a better organization to be affiliated with when all of this was going on because NASP's uh, resources are just outstanding, really are outstanding. 
That's great. There was a question um, by one of the viewers about whether or not you have a district public relations officer who feels any of the community concerns or is that addressed by the GSA network? So I do, I have a public information officer. And so um, the one article that was posted, um, not the press release from um, the hate organization, but there was a very nice article done locally by the Tampa Bay Times. Um, when that reporter reached out to me, the public information officer was the one who kind of handled that and was there with me because I'd never been interviewed by a reporter before. And so I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this. And she's like, you don't have to, but if you want to, you know, I'll be there to support you. So um, many of the concerns are fielded through our public information officer through the district. And um, if she can't answer them, she will filter them to the appropriate people. Because sometimes there's questions that I get that are beyond my pay grade. Um, they are not, uh, like, if there's questions about, um, like, uh, discrimination when it comes to, say, teachers and things like that, like, if a teacher is being discriminated against, that's more of, like, an employee relations type of thing. So some things don't even get filtered to me, but I really try to protect that little GSA network and many of them prefer to not um, be called upon. They just want to get in there and do their work with the kids and be left alone. You know, it's like, let me do my kid, the work with my kids. And I try to field a lot of the questions and things um, about that. What else? <laughs> I'm unmuting, sorry. <laughs> like, oh, right. Last minute questions. So call for last questions for anybody because I know that everyone's looking at the time and the dragons and all. <laughs> I just wonder if you can offer some advice. I, from the very beginning of the show, I remember you saying that you were kind of asked to be in this position um, when you first came to the district. But if, if a district doesn't have this sort of network or um, available, what is your advice for, for starting something like this? I, knowing, knowing now what you know. Yes, come together at this point. I would definitely say that if you are working in a school district that doesn't have, say, like a diversity point person or LGBT point person, um, which is extremely rare, I know that, that um, first figure out, does your district have a diversity committee or an LGBT committee? And if they don't, start it. That's what we found. Back in 2013, we'd been talking about it. We got sick of talking about it and we just took action. And so a few of us got together and we started um, that committee. And so I would start for sure with a committee so that you have that support from other people, like-minded individuals from a variety of different disciplines because doing the work in isolation is just not possible. It's not feasible, it's not sustainable. And so I would encourage anybody who finds this interesting, um, who wants to try to figure out if this is a possibility to start with that LGBTQ committee. If you don't have it, start it. If you do have something like that, um, get yourself on the committee if it's possible, talk to the committee if it's possible, and um, figure out if there is an opportunity to carve out that time. Um, you know, I, I started with 3.75 hours per week. Uh, 
I don't know, you know, what that's going to look like in the future. I'm always on the lookout for grants and things in case, you know, I can magically come up with more money to make it more sustainable in the long run. But it had to start somewhere. And so for us as a committee, when before I was the point person, we were all doing our work full time and we really couldn't allocate time to this work, you know, getting the best practices guide up and running, answering emails and phone calls and going out and providing PD. It wasn't possible. So you really do need a point person to help get the work motivated and moving across the district. And then the LGBTQ committee or diversity committee, whatever you call it, can be there to support. And it's not as taxing um, when you have that committee. I also just have to say that I think it's sweetly ironic that this hate group asked for that best practices guide. Um, and now it's shared widely and mm -hmm your hard work is being used um, for the betterment of that community. I just, that is awesome. There's a lot, there's been a lot of ironies that over the last years or, or since October of 2018, that's when everything happened. There's been a lot of sweet ironies that, <laughs> that looking back now, as I sit towards the end of May, I can say, Hmm. But it's it's actually propelled the work. Um, I, this fall, I'll be presenting to our school resource officers. So all of our schools have either a school safety guard or a sheriff's deputy. We are going to actually get a chance to talk with them about this. And if you would ever ask me if I'd get in front of sheriff's deputies in our schools, I would have said never, never. But guess what? That's what we're getting ready to do. Our, our school bus drivers have even had a presentation. So it's it's really propelled us. And so that's my silver lining is all, with with all of the storms, we, we have the rainbows, quite literally. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Awesome. I know we're getting ready to wrap up. I think, you know, just supportive comments and things I'm seeing in the chat there. And we're just uh, so inspired by you and super happy that you yeah. came on too and you've gone through all of this and then you're still willing to step up and, and go on YouTube with us and chat about it more. So we really appreciate it. Thank you for giving me the chance. And I will definitely, I'll try to pull together because I know you guys usually have like some resource links. Mm -hmm. So um, I will get that to you all. And so that if people have additional questions, maybe some of those things will help answer that. Awesome. And I have, awesome. I found the handbook. I Googled it and found that and put it to our chat and I've now put it in the YouTube video uh, description. So um, you guys can go and check it out and, and read it. And it is being revised because that was put out in 2017. Now in 2019, the data's changed. Some of the terminology's changed. I realize we don't even have the definition of non-binary in there because honestly, in 2016, when we started writing it, we weren't really talking about non-binary students. Now we're talking about non-binary mm -hmm. students. So that guide, even just being two, three years old, is already a little bit outdated. So we are revising that. So when that gets uh, completed, I'll be sure to make sure everybody um, gets a link to the updated one, too. Awesome. Fantastic. All right. So good good luck for those got fans out there <laughs> yeah my, my husband's like sending me angry text messages like, oh, sorry, you can't make me miss it so all right thank you again thanks everyone thank you so much, enjoy, enjoy your summer breaks yes Hopefully. what's your 12 month <laughs>